You're listening to the Fact Hunter Radio Network. Everything you've ever been told is a lie. Everything you've been taught about life is a lie. Open your eyes. Live our whole lives without any real adventure to call our own. What is any life if not the pursuit of a dream? Marva Studios proudly presents The Fact Hunter with your host, George Hobbs. Come join the show that is glad to be a part of the ever growing truth movement. The Fact Hunter questions everything, refuses to be indoctrinated, and is a no sheep zone. Email us at thefacthunteratmail.com. You can also visit our new website at thefacthunter.com. And we are now on Twitter at The Fact Hunter. Ladies and gentlemen, here is The Fact Hunter himself, George Hobbs. Just the facts, ma'am. And a good good evening to everybody across North America and Europe, to our friends in Australia. Uh, good morning. I think it's you know eight or nine in the morning over there. Hope you're enjoying your breakfast. Everybody's having a good day. Welcome back. It's episode ninety-one. And tonight we're talking about Beyond MKUltra. This is one of those episodes when you start to dig into things, (laughs) you just get so many rabbit holes going sideways. I mean, this goes, this is going to probably be a two-part episode. We'll do some tonight and then we'll get deeper into it next week. But there's so many players that involves people who were involved in the Kennedy assassination in the Gerald Ford administration, the Rockefellers, are in, I mean, so many webs. And I've said every time I do one of these episodes, it always turns out that way every single time. Before we get started, I have a few things I need to get through. Number one, uh, thank you all very much. Uh, last night we eclipsed 200,000 downloads, and that is uh, a reflection of you guys sharing you know, hey, check this out. Listen, I get emails all the time saying, hey, my friend introduced me to you. And uh, we're, we're really seeing a huge listenership growth. Yesterday, we eclipsed 1,500 downloads. So that is not a reflection of me. That's a reflection of, you know, maybe we are making a difference. So thank you guys very much. Thank you to all my patrons, my new Patreon, Bo, a longtime friend of the show. He came on the show a while back. Thanks to everybody who's contributed to the show, whether, uh, you know, John on Wednesday mornings, Daniel and Darcy and everybody who's contributed on the Wednesday night roundtables, all the guests I've had, Michael Sharon, I could go on and on and on. So it's greatly appreciated. We are, you know, we're in a war right now. We're in a war for information, you know, information war, not to steal anything from old Alex. Uh, but we're also in a war for our freedom right now. We, we truly are. Um, if you aren't aware, here in the state of Delaware, our uh, corrupted governor, John Carney, he enacted uh, the mask law again. So we're back to anywhere indoors, schools, you name it. you got to wear a mask. So I fired off a pretty angry email to him, and I'm going to open the radio show tomorrow with that. So... If you're interested to hear what I had to say to him, 
tune in tomorrow at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. Uh, and if you miss it, you know, it always goes out as a podcast afterwards. So apparently, you know, 670 days to flatten the curve isn't enough. So we're going back to this uh, tyrannical, tyrannical, you know, times. Keep an eye on the Supreme Court. Word on the street is uh, the vaccine mandate. May They're going to release a couple thoughts on Thursday, whether or not it's the one on the vax mandates. We shall see. Many people are saying they are. Uh, I know Justice Sotomayor made herself look like a fool with uh, some of the things she said. And again, these are supposed to be the smartest and brightest. But uh, more on that COVID stuff tomorrow on the radio show. Again, 10 a.m. revolution.radio. You can go to thefacthunter.com. Uh, the video portion will be playing live there. And again, go to thefacthunter.com. Scroll to the bottom. Just put your email address in there. And once a week, you, you get a kind of an update, what's going on, how to contact me, where to find the apps, the YouTube, this, that, and the other thing. It takes 10 seconds. I don't spam you. Just once a week. Um, what else do I have? Family of Killers, Memoirs of an Assassin Paperback. I think I interviewed Stephen for the first time back in July, and I was thinking, man, it's a long time before the book comes out. Well, it comes out in two days, and I'm very happy for him. He's a great friend of the show, and uh, we wish him uh, the New York Times bestseller list. Nothing short. New show. I'm, I'm a glutton for punishment. 9 p.m. Thursday evening. That's 9 p.m. Eastern time, Thursday night. I've had many people email say they want a regular call-in show. So I'm going to do it for a couple weeks. Obviously, I'm probably not expecting many phone calls this Thursday. I put it out on the email, and I'm announcing it now. But I'll be, I'll be prepared to, to talk for an hour if nobody calls. 90 minutes tops, because I do have an 11 o'clock show I have to do Thursday night. But we'll be open. We'll talk, you know, what's going on in the news. Maybe by then the Supreme Court will have made their announcement, and then it'll be open phones, 855-852-8556. I'll have the number out then. What else? What else? I think that's it. Again, tomorrow, 8 a.m., Daniel Ballbusters, 10 a.m. It's the Fact Hunter Show with John. Um, and then tomorrow night, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, the roundtable is back. Stephen Briggs will be there on the eve of his book release. Darcy and I'm sure all the usual suspects will be there um, talking about the tyranny, and you'll get the perspectives from around the world. you got to... Fellow from Ireland, you have folks down in Australia, Canada, United States. It's a great show. So join us tomorrow, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on Spreaker, on the Fact Hunter Radio Network, on the apps. Or just go to the website if you want to watch the video. Okay, so before we dive into MKUltra, again, when you do all this stuff, it's all CIA, 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 right? And I've long theorized that if you're anyone in this country, then you're probably controlled by someone in this country, right? You always hear the story, you know, Jeff Bezos, this young guy, and he set up, you know, this Amazon in his garage, and he just turned out to be the world's richest man. Well, it's funny because there's a lot of weird coincidences here. If you take the time, and I will be doing um. Bezos episode. Next week's probably going to be part two of MK Ultra. Probably the following week we're going to do something on Bezos. But if you look, it's kind of weird. If you look at his wiki, you remember he just found out last year that, you know, who his paternal father was, right? If you look, he has three parents listed. Uh, Ted Jorgensen, Miguel Bezos, which is the guy who raised him, and then his mother, Jacqueline. 
So, you, you know, you start researching Ted, and he's just this guy, blah, blah, blah. Nothing, couldn't find a whole lot on him. But Miguel, holy cow. It's pretty interesting because there was a story written in the Latin Times, which is a pretty prestigious, reliable paper. Um, Operation Peter Pan. His father was involved in that. So again, it just goes to, this doesn't prove anything, but it certainly lends credence to my theory that anybody who is anybody, well, it's not an accident. It goes on to say that Jeff Bezos, he was born in Albuquerque. There you have your ties to uh, Mr. Epstein, right? 33rd degree parallel too, I believe Albuquerque's on. To a teenage mother whose marriage to his father lasted a little more than a year, kind of disappeared. Not long after she remarried, three years later, Jeff's stepfather, Miguel Bezos, and he adopted Jeff, uh, moved the family to Houston, then Pensacola, Florida, then finally Miami. Uh, Miguel was born in Cuba, which was a big flag, Cuba in the 60s, came to the United States when he was 15 as part of Operation Peter Pan, which was a CIA-run program which was spreading rumors that Fidel Castro's government would be forcibly putting children in military schools and work camps. And I'm willing to bet uh, a paycheck that uh, he was older than 15 when he came over here. So, again, there's your direct tie to the CIA. Now, also a couple other—I'm not going to get too much into it because we, we need to get on with this program, MK Ultra. But again— this Jeff Bezos guy, did you know? Now, his brother, uh, Mark, if you look at, the, he was an ad, you know, big ad executive. He was the head of communications at the Robin Hood Foundation, which has been in the news so much lately, uh, with especially, I think, the GameStop stock thing that was going on last year in March when all this kicked off, well, March 2020, now almost two years. Uh, the, the GameStop stock was like, uh, or sorry, three dollars and fifty cents. They were floating on bankruptcy. Now today, it's a hundred and fifty, hundred and sixty dollars. But he was also uh, a big ad exec at Saatchi and Saatchi. Now, if you look at Saatchi and Saatchi, one of the big players in there um, is the um, Louise Dreyfus, uh, Dreyfus family. So again, there's always, they're always linked together, but the strangest connection of them all, again, I'm just touching, just giving you little breadcrumbs. George Strait, and listen, if I was still in Texas and if I said anything bad about George Strait, they would drag my ass out to the street and beat me up because, you know, country music fans, George Strait is God. So George Strait is Jeff Bezos' cousin. And again, we always talk about, you know, the Morrisons and on and on and on, all these different things. The thing that really caught my eye, and if you've been listening to this program for any length of time, you know what numbers mean to me. They're very important. I'm, I'm reading this directly. He has sold over 100 million records worldwide. He is one of the best-selling records uh, artists of all time. So here we go. His certifications include 13... Multi-platinum, 33 platinum, and 38 gold albums. So you have 13, 33, and 38. And if you don't know, of course, 
38 is the murder number. Uh, if you've researched Kabbalah or Gematria whatsoever, uh, 38 is a big number to these people. Uh, if you look at the Murder by Numbers movie poster, the E is turned inward to look like a 3. The B in numbers is an 8. A lot of weirdies, and that's I'm just throwing that out there to pique your interest. Look forward to that Jeff Bezos. He, he's not just some guy who got lucky. He's all part of the game, just like Elon Musk uh, and uh, everybody else. Shout out to everybody in the chat room, both on Spreaker and on the um, Revolution Radio, on the FactHunter.com website. All right, without any further ado, let's get to episode 91 and MK Ultra. Some of you guys think I sound like Charlie from that Always Sunny, you know, connecting the dots and stringing the lines up. But anytime you do one of these episodes, they always connect back. I want to treat MK Ultra, even though we've done this before. Maybe this is the first time you've listened to the show. I don't want to just assume that everybody knows uh, everything about it. Just kind of off the top, it was the code name, right? Project MK Ultra, later known as MK Ultra. Uh, which is very illegal, very unethical human experimentation program designed and undertaken by the CIA. These experiments were intended to develop procedures, and this is when LSD was new. They were trying to see if they could use it as a uh, an offensive and defensive weapon. They used it for brainwashing, for confessions, and psychological torture, um, and when the word started to get out, people, they killed some of their own people, and we'll get to, to that later. And again, they used numerous methods to manipulate people's mental states, um, such as high doses of psychoactive drugs, especially LSD, but uh, also cactus, mushrooms, other chemicals, electroshock therapy, hypnosis, sensory deprivation, isolation, even verbal and sexual abuse. Uh, and, and more, you know, that I'm sure we, we don't know of. Because, again, when these things come out in Congress, just like today, people were messaging me, hey, did you see how Ted Cruz handled the FBI? Well, nobody walked out of there in handcuffs. And some people said the same thing. Did you see how Rand Paul handled Fauci? He let him have it. Well, he didn't walk out of there in handcuffs. So, again, we only get a, a portion of the sandwich, right? We never get the whole story. So, MKUltra was preceded by two drug-related experiments, Project Bluebird and Project Artichoke. Now, if you research back, now obviously mind control and these type of things go back long, you know, forever. But to really connect it to what's going on now, you can really track it back to the, uh, what's the name of this? Uh, the, uh, I think it's pronounced Dachau concentration camp. In Germany. And uh, down the road, we're going to do that episode about the Holocaust. But, uh, you know, these concentration camps weren't used to just round up Jews and kill them. Okay. The Rockefellers financed these concentration camps. They were used for eugenics testing. And we'll get into that towards the end of the show. Um, but the Deschal concentration camp in itself has some weird numerology in it, okay? For instance, it opened up March 22nd, 1933. Uh, so you have Skull and Bones Day, and you're 33. 
Now, they claim it was originally intended to hold political prisoners. Um, but, of course, between 45 and 48, some weird stuff really went on there. But let me get back here. Let's talk briefly before we continue on. Let's talk Project Artichoke. Um, that was, of course, another CIA project that was into researching interrogation methods. So this preceded, right? Uh, this kicked off around August 20th, 1951. Um, now, the primary goal of Artichoke and Bluebird was to determine whether a person could be involuntarily made to perform an act of attempted assassination. So many people think that this was used on Sirhan Sirhan with the murder of RFK. And they also studied hypnosis, forced morphine addiction, which, look, in reality, it, it became a real thing. They got people, not morphine as much, but you look at the big pharma and uh, all the people who got hooked on opioids, right? Uh, LSD, amnesia, all kinds of things. Um, and artichoke led to MK Ultra, which, uh, quote-unquote, officially began in 1953, so, you know, they claim it was reduced in scope during the 60s, uh, and then it was halted in the 70s. The big thing, by the way, Canada, it wasn't just American citizens that were involved in, in MKUltra. This was uh, included U.S. and Canadian citizens. Many of them, they were unwitting test subjects. Uh, and MKUltra's scope was broad, and of course, its activities were carried out under the guise of research, right? It was research at more than 80 institutions. And you're, you're talking colleges, universities, hospitals, prisons, and shockingly, pharmaceutical companies. Now, of course, the CIA operated using front organizations, which they still do to this day. By the way, shout out to the CIA. Hope you guys are having a pleasant evening. Although some top officials at these institutions were indeed aware of what they were doing and what it was all about. Now, the first time it was brought to the public, uh, the attention, was in 1975 by the Church Committee, uh, the United States Congress. And then, of course, Ford got involved, and then the Rockefeller Commission got involved. By the way, we'll talk later about how that dude died, Mr. Rockefeller. Um, because they tried to lie about his death. But, uh, of course, the CIA director at the time, Richard Helms, back in 73, I believe, two years before all this came out, he ordered that most of the, the files be destroyed. So all the things that we're talking about today is such a minute amount of information of what really happened. And, of course, again, did anything happen to Mr. Richard Helms? No, no accountability whatsoever. So... The Church Committee and the Rockefeller Commission, they had to rely on these sworn testimonies, right? And uh, they were participants and the very small documents that survived Helm's order. And obviously, just like uh, Vares, you only got a couple of people. You didn't. Most of the people, uh, a lot of people killed themselves. A lot of people disappeared. Now, in 1977... Uh, an FOIA, Freedom of Information Act request, uncovered 20,000 documents relating to MKUltra, 
which led to Senate hearings. Fast forward to 2001, some surviving information about MKUltra was declassified in 2001, and then in 2018, more documents, blah, blah, blah. But uh, a big thing is 95, 96, uh, Clinton did come out, and they admit it, they apologize, blah, blah, blah. Uh, But the origin of the product, according to author Stephen Kinzer, said that the CIA project was a continuation of the work that began in World War II-era Japanese facilities and the Nazi uh, concentration camps. And their goal was to subdue and control human minds. He wrote that MKUltra's use of mescaline, which is uh, another type of, uh, like, LSD, on a winning subjects was a practice that the Nazi doctors had begin at the Dachau concentration camp. So that's why I opened up with that. And of course that was March 22nd, 1933. Just, I know just a coincidence. I get it. But uh, Kinzer proposes evidence of the continuation of a Nazi agenda, setting, of course, the secret recruitment of the tortures, uh, all the gentlemen, gentlemen, <laughs> all the Germans who were brought over here with Operation Paperclip, which we spoke about a little bit on Friday with, uh, with John. But So when they brought these scientists over to Fort Detrick, they started uh, learning and trying out the uses of lethal sarin gas. And, of course, one of the biggest fallings out from the church committee was the revelation that the CIA had a heart attack dart gun, which had um, shellfish poisoning in it, and it was operated with a battery. So it looked like a, a 357, maybe. It had a scope on top, a huge battery inside of it, so it was silent. So it could literally walk by, point it, shoot a guy. It had a 100-meter range, and it would just end a guy. It would make them have a heart attack. And that was 1975. If they came out today with that, I'd be like, wow, that's amazing technology. This was 45 years ago. So imagine what they have today that we don't know about. Now, of course, uh, this project was headed up by Sidney Gottlieb, another uh, just a great guy. Um, But it didn't really begin until the CIA director, Alan Dulles, who was right up there with with some of the most evil people in the history of the planet, the George W. Bush type of folks. And that was April of 53. And, uh, of course, they used the guise of communism, fighting communism, to utilize this, you know, terrible thing that's going on. You know, they wanted to develop mind-controlling drugs, to use against the Soviet bloc, right? Against Soviet, the Chinese, North Korean, the commies, and the mind control techniques of U.S. prisoners of war during the Korean War. So the CIA wanted to use similar methods on their own captives and was interested in manipulating foreign leaders with such techniques. Of course, at the big time, uh, at the time, it was all Fidel Castro. They, They had devised several schemes to drug him and to kill him. Right. And then Operation Northwoods, Bay of Pigs, you know, the early 60s with a huge mess. And then Kennedy came back and said he wanted to crush the CIA into a thousand pieces a week later. Well, 11-22-63. So, again, fast forward to 1973, Richard Helms orders all of 
the records to be destroyed. So again, it's been very difficult for investigators and people submitting FOIAs to gain a real complete understanding of more than 150 funded research projects that are sponsored by MKUltra and related CIA programs. It's a huge, just a huge scale. And, uh, you know, of course, the Church Committee, drugs were primarily used as an aid to the interrogations. But they were also, you know, they weren't just experiments. They were used for harassing, discrediting, disabling. It's the things that the CIA are good at, right? If you go against the agenda, well, you know how it goes. Uh, We already spoke of Project Artichoke. Did we not? Yes. Yeah, okay. So Artichoke, again, make a person involuntarily assassinate someone. Many people believe Sirhan Sirhan was involved in that. The church committee, um, again, the, the most shocking revelations was drugging, torturing un, their, uh, our own citizens. That should be a holy shit. That should be a, a, a stop-dead moment. This is against our own people. Our, the government was drugging and torturing their own citizens. I hate to use that word citizen, right, because that makes us subservient to them. But human beings experiments, uh, mind control. And there's a a video, I think, from the 50s, this housewife who'd been given drugs, and it's very creepy to hear her talk. Um, I should have played that tonight. That's okay. We'll get back to it. We've got a lot to talk about tonight. But uh, again, uh, Cointelpro was stemmed from this. That involved the surveillance and the infiltration of American civil rights organizations. Then you had Family Jewels, which was a CIA program to covertly assassinate foreign leaders. Then, of course, Mockingbird, which we talk about all the time. That is a systematic propaganda campaign uh, with domestic and foreign journalists operating as CIA assets. And they say dozens of news organizations, but I will say probably all of them uh, to this very day. And, of course, with the Smith Modernization Act of 2012, they are allowed to use propaganda against us. Now, foreshadowing the 2013 global surveillance disclosures by one Edward Snowden, it also unearthed Project Shamrock, in which the major telecommunications companies shared their traffic with the NSA. The big AT&T, CIA thing was a big deal. Um, But this has been going on for a long time, and this is one of the things that came out in the Church Committee in 1975. USSID 18 was the general guideline for handling SIGINT, which in the Army we called SIGINT. That's signal intelligence. And they were collecting it on, again, U.S. citizens. You know, the CIA is supposed to be a foreign intelligence organization. But during, up until supposedly the George W. Bush administration, they were collecting information on U.S. citizens without a warrant. That's right. uh, You know, if you're going to screen Bill of Rights, that's a direct violation of the Bill of Rights. Uh, The post-Clinton era interpretations of FISA, which we heard a lot about during the Trump administration, and USSID's 18's principles assume that the executive branch has the unitary authority 
for warrantless surveillance. So again, we talk about the hypocrisy and the evil of the federal government. You know, on one hand, they say, you have the Bill of Rights to protect you. But the other hand, say, I can sign this and they can shake you down. And of course, this assertion came under congressional investigation as an apparent violation of FISA's, or FISA's intent. And again, this all came about again uh, with Trump and everything that went on with him. Who had a big hand in MKUltra? The United States Army's Biological Warfare Laboratories, which today we know as uh, Fort Detrick. At the time, it was named Kent Detrick. It's Fort Detrick now. Uh, research laboratories just, what, southwest of me, down in Fort Detrick, Maryland. It began in 1943 under the control of the U.S. Army Chemical Corps' Research and Development Command. The USBWL undertook research and development into biocontainment, decontamination, uh, gaseous sterilization, and an agent production of purification for the U.S. Uh, offensive biological warfare. For the most part, prior to 1943, it was a defensive. But at that time, uh, they decided they wanted to start using it as a weapon. Now, of course, the official claim is... Uh, their projects and all this stuff ceased in 1969. Well, as we look around and see what's been going on for the last two years, many people uh, beg to differ. And we could do a whole episode on Fort Detrick, but we're going to continue on down the road. Alongside the church committee in 1975, when all this stuff came out about MKUltra, uh, the U.S. President's Commission on CIA, uh, CIA Activities within the United States was set up under Gerald Ford in 1975 to investigate the activities on the CIA and their relative intelligence agencies within the United States. Now, of course, the commission was led by a Rockefeller. So that should be a flag there, Nelson Rockefeller, who had quite an unusual demise because most of the Rockefellers, they lived to be 90 you know, 95, 100. Well, Mr. Rockefeller, if you don't know, obviously he was the vice president and, and the circumstances that surrounded his final hours were really, they tried to cover for him. It didn't work out. Uh, again, this is one of them stories many people don't know about, but January 26, 1979, 1220 a.m., former vice president Nelson Rockefeller died of a heart attack while sitting at his desk at Rockefeller Center, working on a book about his personal art connection. Well, that's what the paper said the next day. In reality, on January 26, 1979 at 12.20 a.m., former Vice President Nelson Rockefeller did die from a heart attack, but he was flat on his back and shoeless in a secret apartment he kept with a woman by the name of Megan Marshak, who was 50 years younger than him. Uh, and listen, he was at that time one of the most distinguished men in the country. He was a former vice president and uh, governor of New York. So it's no surprise that the Rockefeller's family spokesman, Hugh Morrow, he lied when he first met the press and uh, announced the shady, you know, he said, you know, he died at his desk working on his book and his art collection. Wasn't true. Because everybody leave Nelson and his wife, Happy, that was his wife's name, Happy, they were supposed to be just that, Happy. And how would it look 
for such a reputable man, a Rockefeller. Spent the last moments of his wife with a 22-year-old woman whom he had been financially supporting. He's been paying for her townhouse and the whole kit and caboodle. Unfortunately for Morrow and the Rockefellers, the truth did eventually come out when the press realized that the official story didn't quite match up with the police report. Uh, and it turned out that a spokesman, especially somebody who was like a professional spokesman, that he was pretty careless when it came to lining up to the details of the evening with the police report. So the, the true story was shortly before 11, January 26, Nelson Rockefeller collapsed at his townhouse in Manhattan. He was found with a 22-year-old blonde who Rockefeller had been with and uh, was deemed undeniably intimate. It was everybody knew about it. Uh, she attempted to resuscitate him, called a friend of hers, uh, a news reporter, Panchetta Pierce. She said, please come help me. Mr. Rockefeller just collapsed in my house. So she eventually called the police. They found him alive but unresponsive. They tried to... Uh, they got him into the hospital. I think he was checked in 1115, the Lenox Hill Hospital, and he died about an hour later. So, of course, he made the false claim. He came back the next morning. The press had already picked up the inconsistencies on the statements. Um, so he came back out. He released a second statement uh, that admitted he actually was not in his office, but he was in a townhouse that he kept on 54th Street. And, of course, again, the young lady was not mentioned, and the press called for more, uh, you know, they pressured him. Of course, you don't see that kind of journalism in today's day and age, right? Well, they said he died in his office, so it must be true. And, like, that's the end of it. Not back then. Finally, uh, they released a third statement in which he claimed that he had just learned that Rockefeller's young assistant was present at the time and was the one to call 911. But that was the extent of her involvement. So uh, a lot of people don't know about uh, the Rockefeller Marshak connection and how a vice president of the United States really died in his mistress's home. I just thought uh, when we're connecting these dots, I like to, to connect the dots and put, you get the truth out there. But again, they when you put people like uh, Kissinger and Rockefellers in charge of investigations, you know it's you're doomed from the get go. Uh, Mr. Church, who was a Democrat from Iowa, I believe, he really busted his ass and got what he could out there, I, I truly believe. Uh, he died 84. Another, when you see these people who try to you know, get to the truth, oh, he's got cancer, he's dying. I wonder if he was given cancer. Maybe he got a flu shot and got cancer. Who knows? But an, another interesting aspect of these, you know, the church committee, and this commission, this was the first time because it actually went past MKUltra and they brought up the Kennedy assassination. And this was the first time, by the way, that was the first time uh, the Sapruder film was shown on television, 1975, during these hearings. But they also discussed the presence of E. Howard Hunt and Frank Sturgis. So when they brought out this MK Ultra, they also dove back into the Kennedy assassination. And of course, uh, E. Howard Hunt, uh, Frank Sturgis, and Charles Harrelson, who of course is Woody Harrelson's father, 
were the three guys that they arrested after the assassination. And there's plenty of uh, photographs showing the three guys being escorted. They weren't even handcuffed, by the way. And I was just like, uh, gentlemen, will you come with us? And they're probably like, hey, we're CIA guy. You better not arrest me. And they were led away. So they were f- famously known as the uh, three tramps of the Kennedy assassination. And the the same guys, you know, you look at Frank Sturgis. He was one of the five Watergate burglars. So you had one guy, CIA, responsible for Watergate, the downfall of Nixon, the murder of John F. Kennedy, and he had uh, a huge hand in the Cuban Revolution of 1958. Just have to get a CIA card, and you can kill people, and you can overthrow governments. E. Howard Hunt, if you remember him, uh, again, one of those CIA guys uh, who was in charge of overthrowing you know, he was in charge of regime changes in Latin America, including the 1954 Guatemalan coup d'etat. And, of course, the failed 1961 Bay of Pigs invasion. All these people are all intertwined. And it goes back again to this MK Ultra. They're all connected, all the same people. Hunt was known as one of Nixon's plumbers. And what he meant by that was, they were a team of operatives that were charged with uh, identifying government sources who were leaking, right? That's why they called him his plumber. You could, I mean, you could talk about that guy forever. He was a direct assistant to Alan Dulles, so you know that guy was pond scum, absolutely. So that was the first time these commissions, you know, where they admitted, you know, yeah, we've been doing some shady stuff. By the way, other people who were on this commission of CIA activities within the United States, you had Rockefeller, but you also had Reagan, which, again, is not the greatest. You know, everybody said the greatest president ever. Well, he, he helped cover up a lot of the stuff that went on with human torture. Um, he let um, pharmacy, Big Pharma, off the hook in 1986. Then you had uh, Edgar Shannon. David Boleyn, which we've talked about a few times on this program before, uh, and others. So who were the ones behind MKUltra? Well, let's start with Sidney Gottlieb. He was a chemist and a spy. (laughs) He headed the CIA in the 50s and 60s. Uh, he, He was in charge of assassination attempts and the mind control program obviously MK Ultra. So obviously was Gottlieb the the brain of the Kennedy assassination? He could be. He's not a good guy. Uh he was born to Hungarian Jewish immigrants. His parents Fanny and Lewis. He was born in the Bronx back in nineteen eighteen. Uh he was a stutterer since childhood. He earned a master's degree in speech therapy from San Jose State University after retiring from the CIA. He was born with a club foot, which got him rejected from military service in World War II. Um, so his government career, he started out the Department of Agriculture, which is scary enough, uh, which <laughs> was he the, the, the original brainchild for Monsanto? 
He researched chemical structure of organic soils. Then he went to the FDA, where he developed tests to measure the presence of drugs in the human body, which obviously (laughs) he grew bored with it. He said he wanted to seek out a more challenging position. I'm sure the government said, hey, come here. So 1948, he got a job at the National Research Council, where he described being exposed to some interesting work concerning ergot alkaloids and vasoconstrictors and hallucinogens. So, of course, he relocated to the University of Maryland, which is right down the road from Fort Detrick. He was a research associate dedicated to studying the metabolisms of fungi. (laughs) Take that for what you will. Uh, He started his first day of work at July 13, 1951 at the CIA, uh, then Decker, Deputy Director for Plans Alan Dulles hired him on Ira Baldwin's recommendation. Baldwin had founded and run the biowarfare program at Fort Detrick years earlier. Kept Gottlieb in his orbit throughout his years. It's the same three guys, Dulles, Baldwin, Gottlieb. Not going to talk about Baldwin too much today. But again, this, they claim, this was the early days of the Cold War, the paranoia about communist ideology taking over the American way, and they used that as an excuse to do testing on people. Again, if you allow people to ignore, whether it's natural law, the Constitution, whatever you want to call it, because of an emergency, they will create the emergency. And the, and, and the emergency from the end of World War II to the end of the 80s was the Cold War. And that was their excuse to to just trample people's freedoms. The CIA was ramping up its search on a way to control the human mind. And to this day, they do it, whether it's the movies, music, television, fear porn, you know, this 24-7, you know, you are going to die if you don't wear a mask and take your shot. It's just, uh, it's nonstop 24-7. So again, Project Bluebird was already underway when Gottlieb was brought on board. They experimented with special interrogation techniques on captured prisoners on overseas black sites uh, like Camp King, Fort Clayton, and Via Schuster. They were using drugs to attempt to break their ego control and elicit information from these people. But again, Bluebird lacked scientific knowledge and obedience. So good old Alan Dulles wanted Gottlieb to get it back on course. So he went through some extensive training and then was later named to the newly formed Chemical Division of Technical Services staff. In August of 1951, Dulles ordered Bluebird to be expanded and centralized and renamed Project Artichoke. And that became the power base for Sidney Gottlieb. At that point, Dulles was promoted to deputy director of the CIA after intensifying artichoke scale. And again, remember, the CIA is like not a government agency. It is, how do I say it? I just had this in my notes a minute ago. So it is a civilian run agency. That's what you need to know. This is a civilian foreign intelligence service of the federal government of the United States, but it's, it's a civilian run. And that's, you know, we always talk about compartmentalization, right? 
super shady. I still to this day cannot believe the stuff that they get away with. But let me get back on course. Sorry. Um, so again, this assured protection and encouragement for all of Gottlieb's future mind control projects from the highest levels of the United States government. So Gottlieb and Dulles, they both believed that there was a way to influence and control the human mind that could lead to global mastery. And here we are in 2022, and what are we talking about, right? They wanted a truth serum, something that had been investigated during the days of the OSS, right? The precursor to the CIA, but it was never fully realized. So again, Gottlieb was experimenting with THC, marijuana, cocaine, heroin, uh, mescaline, which again is... um, it's a hallucinogenic comparable to those of LSD and, uh, how do you say it, psilocybin. And it occurs naturally in the San Pedro cactus. Okay? So don't you all go Googling, going to Amazon, <laughs> and saying, hey, can I get a San Pedro cactus on Amazon? Um, so, yeah. Uh, before realizing that LSD had not been properly tested or investigated by the agency. After trying LSD for the first time himself, Gottlieb accelerated LSD experiments at the agency, testing it on agents who agreed to be dosed under controlled environments and some who agreed to be dosed by surprise. LSD had been invented only a decade earlier, and very few Americans even knew it existed at that point. So after months of experimenting on agents and prisoners left him unsatisfied. He sought help from the Special Operations Division, of course, at Fort Detrick. Now, with this agreement, both the CIA acquired the knowledge and the facilities of the Army to develop bioweapons suited for the CIA. And his first 18 months at the agencies led to some, uh, we'll call it frustrating discoveries. Uh, What he was experimenting with were not the truth serums that he wanted them to be. And in many cases, it hindered his interrogations rather than aiding them. Because like we know, everything affects everyone completely differently. You know, you gave LSD to some people and it worked fabulous. Other people jumped out windows, and we'll get to that later. But he knew Dulles, who was now at this point the director of the CIA and reported you know, worked directly with Eisenhower at the time. And Eisenhower would approve anything that he wanted to do. So it became more ambitious. So that's when he came up with uh, Artichoke. And it gave him authority over all CIA research into mind control, including the ability to test drugs on both knowing and unknowing Americans, which was not being done under Artichoke, both Gottlieb and Richard Helbs, then Chief of Operations for Directorate of Plans, wrote a memorandum, sent it to Dulles, and then April 13th, 1953, was the day that Project MK Ultra was born. Dulles's brother, John, was tapped for Secretary of State, giving even further diplomatic cover to the project. On April 10th, Dulles described the program and others like it in a speech to the alumni at Princeton University, referencing the new battlefield of brain warfare, 
and the battle for controlling the human mind. He disguised this program by describing it as something the, U, uh, the Soviet Union was doing rather than something he was pioneering himself. So Gottlieb selected multiple researchers, scientists, and ex-OSS members to work for him under uh, MKUltra sub-projects. And those contracted conducted experiments on Gottlieb's behalf and then would report the findings to him. Uh, and he sponsored physicians such as uh, Donald Cameron, Harris Isabel, and lots of controversial psychiatric research, including non-consensual human experiments. Gottlieb would go on to administer LSD and other hallucinogics to unwitting subjects and finance psychiatric research and development of techniques that would crush the human psyche to the point that it would admit anything. See, some people think that MKUltra was under the guise of, you know, we, we need to stop communism. So if we get this guy, again, the greater good, you know, maybe it's not, a, you know, a great thing to torture somebody, but if it can save a thousand lives, then, you know, torture is okay. But really, was it just what we said earlier, global control, a one world order? Gottlieb was named the person who gave army bacteriologist Frank Excuse me, bacteriologist Frank Olson. Frank Olson has entered the podcast. I'm going to stop right here, and we're going to talk about Mr. Olson. Frank Rudolph Emanuel Olson was an American bacteriologist, biological warfare scientist, and, of course, was an employee of the USA Biological Warfare Laboratory, Camp Dietrich. The story goes, at a meeting in rural Maryland, he was covertly dosed with LSD by his colleague, Sidney Gottlieb. Like, if you have a friend that drops acid on you, that's a hell of a friend, is it not? Nine days later, he plunged to his death from the window of the Hotel Statler. And of course, the, the great, honest U.S. government came out and they said it was a suicide. Then they stepped down a little bit. They said it was a misadventure. And, of course, other people alleged murder. And he did come up in the Rockefeller Commission report and the church committee in 1975, the same committees that were investigating MK Ultra, And they acknowledge having their, you know, conducted covert drug studies on fellow agents. So they were doing this on their own people. So again, his death was one of the more mysterious things to come out of the CIA mind control project, um, MK ultra. So again, this guy, by the way, if you look at all these people, both, um, Gottlieb and, and many of these same people, they all went to the university of Wisconsin so that's something to look into as well. Uh, in the 40s, he served as a captain, uh, captain in the U.S. Army Chemical Corps. Then again, he got a call from the Ira Baldwin, his thesis advisor at the University of Wisconsin and the future mentor of Sidney Gottlieb. And, you know, this guy Olson would go on to be the leading chemist 
or I'm sorry, Gottlieb would obviously want to become the leading chemist. But Olson joined him. And here, here's more <laughs> sideways rabbit holes. When he got to Camp Dietrich, he worked with, obviously, Sidney Gottlieb. But his other partner was George Merck. All right, so we're going to stop there for a second. George Merck, if that name sounds familiar, well, it should. Uh, see, rich people like to have many names. George Merck's full name is George Wilhelm Herman Emanuel Merck. Uh, snooty tooty. And uh, he was the president of Merck, that Merck, Merck family, the Merck drug family, the Merck pharmaceutical company. And, of course, they have their own philanthropy. Uh, Yeah, these people are all intertwined. So you have the people who are directly involved in MKUltra, their family is now running Merck, one of the largest pharmaceutical companies in the world. So next time you take something that's from Merck, (laughs) be careful. Uh, Man. So let's get back to Frank Olson. Again, his partner was George Merck. And, of course, the U.S. military, um, they were going to establish this U.S. bioweapons program. So he was discharged in 1944. Now, he remained at Dietrich as a civilian contractor, continuing his research into aerobiology. This is when it's going to start to get really weird. There's, There's some projects and operations that there's a chance you haven't heard about. And the next time you're having a conversation with your normie friends and they say the government would never do that to their own people, well, I'm about to drop some real, real stuff on you, especially um, Operation Sea Spray. And if you haven't heard about it, it's going to blow your mind. And you know what? Let's just, let me jump right to it. Operation Harness was a series of three-month secret biological warfare trials that were carried out by the U.S. government uh, in the Caribbean off of the Bahamas. That was a failed experiment. It was really run poorly. Uh, it took place 48-49, 1948-1949, that whole weird time. So what they did was they exposed animals to anthrax, uh, tularmia, and brucella. They put them on inflatable dinghies offshore, but nothing really came about of it. The, the operation didn't go well, well for several reasons. Number one, the, the sea was rougher than expected, so they exposed this animal to anthrax, put them on a dinghy, and the thing would float away. It, it really made it tough for the dinghies to be picked up by craft. Um, so, and the other thing was these tests were carried out just off the shore, so it was endangering the inhabitants. Um, I think only one person got hurt from it. There was a report of 500 to 600 sheep. They were found unsuitable. They had to be shot. Uh, the guinea pigs uh, died. 234 Rezus Mackies had to be treated for pneumonia before being used. Uh, just a bunch of world stuff. That's Operation Harness. Again, that took place in the Bahamas. But the one that you may have never heard of before, and again, if anybody ever tells you they wouldn't do anything to their own people, you can say, obviously, MK Ultra, but Operation Sea Spray. This was 1950. This was the United States Naval Secret Biological Warfare Experiment in which Sarasha Marisons and other 
bacteria were legitimately sprayed over San Francisco in order to determine how vulnerable a city like San Francisco may be to a bioweapon attack. So this started September 20th, 1950. They did it for a week, seven straight days. The Navy released two types of bacteria from a ship off the shore of San Francisco, believing them to be harmless to humans. But based on the results from monitoring equipment at 43 locations around the city, the Army determined that San Francisco had received enough of a dose for nearly all of the city's 800,000 residents to inhale at least 5,000 particles. So a couple days later, uh, later, excuse me, residents in San Francisco start to get sick. Uh, 11 patients show up to Stanford Hospital for very rare, like extremely rare, serious urinary tract infections. Uh, 10 of them recovered. One guy by the name of Edward Nevin died three weeks later. Uh, cases of pneumonia in San Francisco also increased after the Serratia Mariscans were released. So again, think about what's going on now. Think about how we always talk about chemtrails and these type of things. Okay, this happened in 1950. That was 70 years ago. Think about the technology they have now. The bacterium was also combined with fennel and an anthrax stimulant and sprayed across Dorset, excuse me, South Dorset by U.S. and United Kingdom military scientists as part of the DICE trials that ran from 1971 to 1975. We have been lab rats for a long, long time. As a matter of fact, that urinary tract breakout was so unusual that Stanford doctors actually wrote it up for a medical journal. Now, of course, uh, <laughs> now, according to most people, there was no evidence, zero, that the Army had alerted health officials before just blanketing an entire city with bacteria. Now, there are some people that claim that there was other eugenics-type stuff in that spray, and maybe, just maybe, that's why San Francisco has such a high... Um, homosexual rate than many other cities that's out there. I'm just telling you what people say. Um, doctors later wondered whether the experiment might be responsible for heart valve infections around the same time, uh, as well as serious infections seen among intravenous drug users in the 1960s and the 1970s. So uh, two years after the church committee, there was a Senate subcommittee um, on health and scientific research that held hearings. Um, Army officials noted that the pneumonia outbreak in their testimony, but said any link in their experiments was totally coincidental, totally coincidental. And of course, the Army pointed out that no other hospitals reported similar outbreaks. And all 11 victims had urinary tract infections following medical procedures. Uh, there were lawsuits. There was similar biological warfare tests. But again, anybody ever tells you that the government would not harm its own people, you just look at them and say, Operation Sea Spray. Back to Frank. So again, Olson was discharged from the Army in 44, remained at Dietrich. 
um, Operation Harness. He was in charge of Operation Sea Spray, which we just mentioned. Uh, he also traveled often to Fort Terry, which was a secret army base off of Long Island, where toxins too deadly to be brought into the U.S. mainland were tested. So again, this was the period where senior military officials and CIA officers were becoming deeply uh, they were worried at the Soviet progress, and they were feared that, you know, just like the space race, right? They always openly claim we have to do something because the Soviets might get ahead of us. Uh, so they used that to form the Special Operations Division at Fort Detrick in 1949 with specifically the purpose of conducting research on covert ways to utilize chemical weapons. Uh, SOD was known as... Uh, the Special Operations Division. That was known as the Fort Dietrich within Fort Dietrich uh, due to its levels of secrecy, right? And Olson, this Frank Olson guy, he became the acting chief of that SOD uh, just a year after its creation. Um, now, at some point, while assigned as a civilian contractor, he began working as a CIA employee. 1952, he was appointed to the committee for Project Artichoke, which we mentioned earlier. So things started getting weird the next year. By the time he stepped down as chief of the SOD in 53, uh, he, he cited pressures from the job that were aggregating, uh, aggravating his ulcers. He had officially joined the CIA after working closely with them for years. So he did stay with the SOD, which functioned as a CIA research station hidden within a military base. Uh, he did a lot of work at Dietrich uh, to the fact that his own children said it had a lasting effect on his psyche. Uh, listen, this guy, Olson, he, he's, wis he's witnessed and assisted with poisoning, gassing, uh, the torture of laboratory animals, which, listen, I got to tell you, uh, it, it takes a certain type of person to do that to an animal. You've seen the pictures of what uh, Fauci was doing to those beagles. And it takes a special time of person to do that. Um, but his son, Eric, recalled that uh, it had a deep effect on his father. Quote, he said he'd come to work in the morning and see piles of dead monkeys. That messes with you. He wasn't the right guy for that. Now, according to many, Olson had al also witnessed multiple torture sessions in international CIA safe houses where people were literally interrogated to death in experimental methods combining drugs, hypnosis, and torture to attempt a master brainwashing techniques and memory erasing. Now, fast forward just a couple weeks. This is February 23rd, 1953. The Chinese broadcast around the world charges that two captured American pilots had claimed the U.S. was conducting germ warfare against North Korea. Other captured Americans, such as Colonel Walker Marin, had made similar statements. Uh, the United States government threatened to charge some POWs with treason for cooperating with their captors, right? Because you're taught as a soldier, you just give them your name, your social security, you know, serial number back then, but now it's your social security number, and that's it. Uh, but these guys gave in. So after their release... Uh, the prisoners of war would publicly repudiate their confessions uh, as been extracted by torture. 
So later in that year, the Korean Armistice Agreement was signed, um, and that launched Operation Big Switch, which was the repatriation of the Korean War POWs. Um, so yeah, he, he saw a lot of things. Now, a journalist by the name of Gordon Thomas claimed that Olson visited a guy by the name of William Sargent, who was a British psychiatrist with high-level security clearances. Now, according to Thomas, Sargent reported that Olson had become a security threat and his access to military facilities were limited. So he was telling people publicly, I wasn't feeling good, the pressure, but the, the case was many people believe that he was growing a conscience, and when you grow a conscience, you become a threat to the CIA. And we all know how that ends for people. And listen, Olson had spent an entire decade at Fort Detrick. He knew all the secrets of the Special Operations Division. He frequently traveled to Germany, and he had to witness uh, interrogation sessions in multiple prisons. And there is evidence that places Olson in Frankfurt, Berlin, and Heidelberg, which, by the way, Heidelberg's a, a beautiful city, where the victims would occasionally die from the trauma of the tactics. It's a hard thing to watch. He was one of several SOD scientists who traveled to or through France in the summer of 51 when the French village of Port Saint-Esprit was poisoned by naturally occurring ergot, the fungus from which LSD was derived. So if Americans did use biological weapons during the Korean War, and there is circumstantial, but not concrete proof, well, Olson would know. And again, if you have certain knowledge and, you know, these people at the top of the CIA begin to doubt you, then you're a threat to them. And the prospect that he may reveal or what he might reveal uh, was a terrifying thought to those at the very top of the CIA. So, again, a semi-monthly retreat of the men closest to MK Ultra was scab uh, scheduled at a cabin at Deep Creek Lake for Wednesday, November 18th to Friday, November 20th, 1953. There was 12 people involved. Uh, eight from Fort Detrick, and there were four from the CIA. One was Sidney Gottlieb. Robert Lashbrook, who was Gottlieb's deputy, was the one who dosed liquor, and then uh, two other CIA agents. So, Again, 7.30, Olsen and some of the other participants were drugged, which ended up to be LSD. The next morning, Olsen headed back to Maryland, a changed man. Having dinner with his family, he refused to eat, seemed distant, not speaking about his trip or attending to his children. He yelled at his wife, I've made a terrible mistake. Now, at this point, MKUltra had been underway for seven months, and barely two dozen men knew the true nature and intentions of the project. Out of this entire country, I think 22 men. November 23rd, Olson and his boss, Lieutenant Colonel Vincent Ruitt, arrived at work at Fort Dietrich. They were both still in bad shape from the retreat. Uh, Ruet later recalled that Olson appeared to be agitated and asked if Ruitt should fire him or if he should quit. Ruitt was able to calm him down for the day, uh, Olson just got worse the next day. Uh, Ruet later testified Olson was disoriented uh, and he felt all mixed up about the work he'd been doing. Uh, and of course, they tried to say he was becoming incompetent. You know how they discredit people who will go against the agenda. 
The next day, November 24th, excuse me, he went back to work as usual, but he returned before noon, uh, accompanied by his coworker John Stubbs. Um, Olson said to Stubb in his presence, saying, um, they're afraid I might hurt you. And Olson informed his wife that he agreed to undergo this psychiatric treatment. Now, the same day, later that day, Olson, Ruit, um, Lashbrook, they all went to New York City. Lashbrook met with Harold Abramson, a CIA-linked medical doctor who had worked with Olson for years on studies of aerosolization. So he knew about chemtrails, guys. So the story goes, 2 a.m., Saturday, November 28, 1953, Olson plummeted onto the sidewalk out of his hotel room. Uh, at the time, it was called the Statler Hilton Hotel. Uh, today, it's known as the Hotel Pennsylvania. The crazy thing is when he hit, he didn't die on impact. The night manager ran out. Um, he tried to mumble something. He couldn't get the words out. And uh, this guy Olson died before medical help could arrive. He was interviewed, the, the night manager was interviewed years later, and he said, uh, in all my years in the hotel business, I never encountered a case where someone got up in the middle of the night, ran across a dark room in his underwear, avoiding two beds, and dove through a closed window with the shades and curtains drawn. When police entered the hotel room, they found Robert Lashbrook sitting on the toilet in the room he shared with Olson. The hotel switchboard operator reported having connected a call from room 1018A to a number that was listed to Dr. Harold Abramson. According to the operator, who heard uh, the entirety of the brief call, said, well, he's gone. And Abramson simply said, well, that's too bad, and hung up the phone. For a guy who knew <laughs> and someone so close to him for that long to say, well, too bad. Like, even if it was your coworker that you've only known for like six months, right? Let's say you work at, you know, at your office and the guy in the cubicle next to you, you've known him for six months. And you get a call, you know, John, the guy works next to you, he jumped through the, jumped the window, landed nine stories down. You're not going to say, well, that's too bad. You're like, holy shit. You got to be kidding me. No. Now, Lashbrook's wallet contained the initials, the addresses, and the phone numbers of a magician-turned-CIA asset, the one and only John Mulholland. Now, Lashbrook claimed that he and Olson had visited Mulholland, although this is disputed by some people. Uh, really interesting stuff. You could do a whole episode on John Mulholland. Legitimately, this guy was a magician, <laughs> and then he turned an asset, you know, for the CIA, you know, but look, everybody's in it, you know, Anderson Cooper, they're all part, uh, you know, they're CIA assets. So, you know, there was lawsuits, uh, the family sued, they offered 1.2 million that was later reduced to like 750,000. Again, this is Back in the day, so $750,000 was a hell of a lot more than it is today. The family did end up receiving apologies from uh, President Gerald Ford 
and then CIA director William Colby. So, yeah, I mean, we could do an entire podcast just on this Frank Olson guy. If you turn on the CIA, they will, they'll exterminate you. Let's get back to Sidney Gottlieb. Um, yeah. Oh, by the way. Oh, wait, that's Merck. Sorry, wrong one. So Gottlieb was the uh, liaison to the military subcontractor, Lockheed. <laughs> the military industrial complex has entered the podcast. Um, they were working for CIA on something called uh, Project Aquatone. And Project Aquatone would produce the U-2 spy plane. In 1953, he arranged a safe house for Lockheed Aeronautic Services with easy and exclusive egress, right? Uh, many people say that the U-2 plane was for one, but also for aerosol spraying, right? And we already know that they do it. By 1955, MKUltra had outgrown its government funding. At this point, Subproject 27 which was uh, the basic research of LSD, was a funding subproject that combined previous subprojects, including a payment to Sandoz Pharmaceuticals for LSD. John, uh, John Mulholland's The Official CIA Manual of Trickery and Deception, which was subproject 15, uh, and the further procurement of LSD but it grew to almost 150 documented subprojects. So MK Ultra, at its peak, had 150 subprojects under it, including uh, the microwave gun, um, the search for alternatives to LSD, um, and that led to Project uh, MC Chickwit, which was focused on South America. So in addition to working with these subcontractors, the CIA also worked with the Advanced Research Projects Agency, ARPA, which would eventually uh, become what is known today as DARPA. Again, our good friend Dwight D. Eisenhower got that going. March 1960, under the Cuban Project, the CIA planned approved by Eisenhower under the direction of CIA Directorate for Plans Richard Bissell. So Gottlieb proposed <laughs> spraying Fidel Castro's television studio with LSD and saturating Castro's shoe with thallium to make his beard fall out. Uh, Gottlieb was hatching these schemes. He, they wanted to assassinate Castro. Uh, they came up with the poison cigar, poison wetsuit, exploding conch shell, uh, and a poisonous fountain pen. You know, all these things you see in all the James Bond movies. They, they were all these sub projects. They were developing these things. And, and here we are 70 years later. Lord knows what they have. Gottlieb also played a role in the CIA's attempt to assassinate Prime Minister Patrice Lumumba of the Congo. Uh, he took a vital, excuse me, he took a vial of poison to the Congo with plans to place it on Lumumba's toothbrush in the summer of 1960. Uh, he transported these toxic biological materials to a guy by the name of Larry Devlin, who was the CIA chief station in the Congo. So even back in the 1960, we had these little 
stations all around the world, even in the Congo. Now, I guess Mr. Devlin had a conscience. Um, he declined the assignment, um, but a military coup still happened. And would you know it that Mr. Lumumba was killed? Huh. And then Gottlieb wanted Iraqi General Abdul Qasim's handkerchief to be contaminated with botulinum. You know, I wonder if this guy Qasim, and of course, by, by the way, 1963, this guy Qasim in Iraq, he was uh, executed by firing squad. Listen, the federal government, once you dead, you're going to go. You know, we've done several shows on... Uh, Ask Gaddafi how that worked out for him. So he retired from the CIA in 1973. He, he tried to say that he believed his work had been effective. Uh, visited in retirement by the son of his late colleague, Frank Olson. He said he was residing in a uh, ecologically correct home in Culpeper, uh, Virginia. He raised goats, ate yogurt. And he advocated for peace and environmentalism. A guy who had uh, overthrown, involved in coup d'etats, involved with uh, poisoning the residents of San Francisco. You know, you know, the normies like, well, no, he was a good guy. Remember, he retired, raised goats, those Australian dwarf goats, ate yogurt, advocated for peace. His wife and He's traveled the world, Australia, Africa, and India before settling down to run a leper hospital in India. Uh, now, he did testify before the church committee under the alias Joseph Schneider. He didn't reveal anything in his testimony besides saying he basically destroyed everything. Was not a good guy. Uh, he died in his home March 7th, 1999, in Washington, Virginia. Heart problems. But his wife declined to give the cause of death. Maybe he had a magic mushroom uh, and it took him out. Uh, Richard Helms was involved in all this. You know, that's something. Uh, but, Miss, um, yeah, Richard Helms, that Richard Helms was appointed. LBJ, Nixon, that whole time frame, he was directly involved in MKUltra as well. Um, man, that guy, he was involved in Vietnam, Laos, the Israel Six-Day War. He certainly had a hand in um, manipulating the media propaganda during uh, when the USS Liberty got attacked. Uh, just not a good dude. But I don't want to get too much into this guy today. Um, I need to start wrapping it up soon. I have like four more shows to do in the next 48 hours. But there was a couple other things. Again, the, the DeKal concentration camp, something you should all look into, the human um, experiments that were done there. Um, the date, March 22nd, 1933, is uh, laughable. That place had 100 subcamps, by the way. And it was... Uh, man, the Romans, Germans, Austrians, you know, there was not 6 million uh, Jews. We already talked about E. Howard Hunt, Frank Sturgis. Um, there was a great article. I'm not sure if I want to read this right now. Let me see. 
Oh, by the way, people have hypothesized this. MK Ultra, you see many times on TV these personalities glitching. And there was a great article that I am going to read right now. This is from 2018. It talks about glitching, and it's very interesting. There's a phase in the research of conspiracies and truthing that one inevitably comes up across MK Ultra. We know they employ it with celebrities, media talking heads, politicians, all-star athletes, etc. Very famous video of Shaq glitching out. Um, they're all over the place. You can even do YouTube, BitChute, uh, Human Glitch. You'll see it. But recently, another layer to the conspiracy has revealed that even more secretive human cloning crisis. Uh, Epstein is back, right? That's what I really believe that's all about. Because, listen, when you have money, power, you have everything. Uh, it's all about eternal life. Okay, that's what they're after. They want to defeat God. Now, according to Donald Marshall, there are three types of clones. There's replication clones, and then there's two types of duplication clones, robotoid and REM phase-driven. So there is a lot of confusion, and again, let, let's try to sort it out here. Replication clones. Now, according to the study, replic replication clones are grown from birth, using a single cell taken from the original body. Now, replication clones, while identical to the donor cell's body, are their own soul with their own personality that develops independently as they grow. So this is being done, but uh, this author doesn't believe that it is the main way that the Illuminati is employing cloning. Now, these duplication clones, so the author thinks, like, Biden, I, I did a video, like, there's no way that this is the same person. Well, these duplication clones are grown in about five months in a tank. We've all seen the movies where you walk in and there's all these tanks filled with, you know, whether it's formaldehyde, water, whatever it is. Uh, but within five months, they can grow as fully formed adults, not like babies and they grow up, but they grow fully formed adults. But it, they're grown to whatever age the donor gave their cell sample. So if you're 40 years old and you're taking it, that, that duplication clone is going to be exactly your age, you know, give or take five months, obviously, because that's how long reportedly the process takes. Uh, however, don't be fooled by the PSYOP movie, The Island, okay? These clones are in a perpetual coma unless they're activated by a real person through REM phase consciousness transfer or else purely mechanically by an uh, AI brain, also known as uh, robotoid clones. So, <clears throat> excuse me, when a duplication robotoid clone, and we're talking flesh and blood body, computer brain, soulless, is told to commit suicide, it does so without hesitation. They have no instinct for self-preservation. They're physiologically alive. You cut them, they bleed. You punch them, they say, ow, right? But they have no independent soul, no will or any self-awareness. They run on advanced AI wetware, computer programming. They can even download memories of the person and mimic their behavior. 
And the author believes that most of the celebrity glitches are coming from these type of soulless robotoids glitching out. The third and apparently most common way, according to Donald Marshall and a few others, the Illuminati uses clones these days are REM-driven duplication clones. The easiest way to do this is to visualize this as two bodies, uh, but one soul or one conscious that is driving both. REM-driven duplication clones, unlike what they show on the island, can only be conscious and moving around when the normal human is asleep in REM phase. And that's transferred via mind hack technology into that body. Likewise, the only way for the person to animate their clone is to be asleep. This is the type of cloning the Illuminati prefers to use because they don't glitch out as often as the robotoids. So, you know, watch the third season of The Black Mirror or the movie Avatar to see how they hide this information in plain sight. Hidden in fiction so it seems too far-fetched or silly to be taken seriously. And again, you can go YouTube, um, BitChute. There's lots of compilations of celebrity uh, media. You know, the talking heads on TV, they're glitching out. Very interesting stuff. Um, won't beat that much more, but it did have a uh, direct relation to MK Ultra. We're going to definitely do um, a part two to this next Tuesday because there's some people we, we didn't have a chance to touch on. Um, we're going to keep going down this rabbit hole because this is like I've been 70 years. Uh, I believe they're still using this to an extent. Obviously, aerosol to induce illnesses, mind control through movies, drugs, TV, commercials, music, on and on and on. Uh, and of course, Alan Dulles, with a correlation, you had Prescott Bush, uh, the Nazi regime were funded uh, again. They were funded by the Rockefellers and Prescott Bush and IBM. It was eugenics. Um, and if you remember, Supreme Court Justice Arthur Goldberg said that the Dulles brothers were traitors. And many people believe that Dulles and his brother, you know, they created the CIA uh, or they took it over uh, to cover up his treasonous behavior. Um, just terrible things. And again, the reason I get angry all the time is because nobody is ever, ever held accountable. Uh, I'm, I'm going to cut it off here. We're going to pick this up right next week, next Tuesday at 8, 8 p.m. Eastern time. We're going to do part two. We're going to continue going down. There's a lot of names that we brought up that we need to keep talking about. And we're also going to touch more about how they are employing mind control today. There's lots of, a uh, lot more rabbit hole to go down. Uh, I'll see you tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. Eastern time uh, with our good friend, John. We're going to have a two-hour radio show on Revolution Radio Studio B. Feel free to subscribe to the website. Um, I'll send out the links every Monday where you can find me, where the radio links are, how you can download the apps. It's all out there. I only, I only email you once a week. Promise. Uh, thank you all, everyone who is listening live. And if you're listening on the download, thank you for your continued support. Thank you to all my patrons. God bless everyone. Keep your head on a swivel. And until next time, my friends, we will see you. Living on the far side of town.
Listening to the Fact Hunter Radio Network. Just the facts, ma'am. 